average life, not the average Joe life, not sub-life, but I've come to add life and give you life and that life more abundantly. One translator said he came to give us life and give us life to the overflow. He came to change our life. He came to transform and to transform the way of life that we were living because we were living according to the dictates of sin and according to the prince of the power of the air, the one who works in the sons of Adam's disobedience, of which we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh and the mind. Right? We all once came up born under Adam's sin and conducted our whole life, our decision-making process, according to our own desires, the lust of the flesh, and the things that we could figure out in our own carnal mind. But Jesus came, and when he died on the cross, and when we accepted him as Lord, he entered in and he said, I want to break this lower way of thinking that is dictated to by the God of this world, small g, the enemy, the devil, who really received what he had from Adam, and he said, I want to break the power of that. I want to become the Lord of your life, the God of all that you have. And I don't want you to just live simply but, uh, according to what you can come up with or according to the desires of your flesh, but I want you to live life at a higher plane, live life at a, life at a higher level. I want you to be able to navigate in this world sin and death that's around you and rise up and be a light to those around us. He said it's a life more abundantly. Yet we settle. Alan was just talking about settling. So often we just think, well, I can't make it there. That'll be so hard to rise up. Uh, maybe people won't like me. All the situations that come in. Sometimes when we talk about that life more abundantly, yeah, but pastor, you don't know my wife. You don't know my husband. You don't know my boss. You don't know the things that I have. I might not know all that in detail, but God does. And Jesus came and died for us so that no matter what the circumstance or what the situation, he has given us victory in our life through his death, burial, and resurrection. It's the enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy what? Everything that God had planned for you. But Jesus came to give us life and give, us more, give it to us more abundantly. He gave us that place that we would enter into that eternal life of God. The moment that we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, uh, John 3, 16 tells us that God so loved the world that uh, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And in all of that, that Zoe life of God, the very life as God has it, the life as God experiences it, that everlasting life is a different kind of life than we lived under sin. It's a different quality of life than we lived under sin. Yet so often we, we just adjust our faith to living the same kind of life with a hope of heaven. But God didn't want us to have a hope of heaven. He, he wanted us to have a hope that comes from heaven where the blood is sprinkled and our hope is anchor, anchored to the mercy seat that because mercy triumphs over judgment that we can live under the blood that was shed for us and begin to experience life differently, free from condemnation and free from guilt of the mistakes that we've had in the past and free from that guilt and that shame we're able to walk differently than we used to walk 
You're able to have a different marriage when you uh, 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 get free of the guilt and shame of things that have happened in your life, things that you've said and you've done, when you're able to recognize as husband and wife that you have been set free so you can release your spouse. And when there's forgiveness of things that have been done, you can begin to have a totally different marriage. When resentments are set aside because of things that have happened in the past, you can have a totally different marriage. But we're bound saying it can never be different. But that's what the enemy would like us to believe and live in a marriage that's a struggle and a power struggle instead of a power union. When we think that we're limited by the boss that we have, God says, I don't want you limited. I am your source. I am your provider. But when you see that God is your source, no matter how your boss acts or what job that you come under, you begin to declare, God, you are my source and your blessings, just as we sang, his blessings are coming upon me and they're overtaking me. And this place right here where I work has to start to prosper because I'm here and I'm a child of God. And God said blessing would overtake me and whatever I set my hand to would prosper. And so if I'm here, this place has to prosper on my behalf come on there's a confidence that we begin to have of that everlasting life and when we begin to walk in that confidence and know that he has saved us as uh, uh, we look at in hebrews chapter 7 that he saved us to the uttermost he didn't kind of save you he didn't kind sort of save you he didn't just save you from one moment in time he saved you to the uttermost Every aspect of everything that he paid for in salvation is yours. Everything. In Bible school, we teach a class on redemption through his blood. You know, some years ago, many of you have heard this story, but I think the Bears are just repeating where we're at. You know, many years ago, in our old building over there, I would just... um, I would walk, as I do here, through, through the building. I was walking through the chairs over on this side of the building, just walking through, praying over the chairs and, and praying and, and confessing the word. And, and uh, as I often do, I just started confess the word concerning healing and uh, uh, that he took our infirmities and he bore our sicknesses. And in the process of that, uh, uh, I declare then by his stripes. I was healed. And if I was healed, then I am healed. And I had confessed that for many years since I had found out about healing, and I was confessing that. But this particular day, as I was walking and just praying that prayer, it just came to mind. You know, Jesus was nailed to the cross. He shed his blood. Why did he add that? Why did you add, by your stripes, you are healed? I mean, if you paid for everything on the cross, then why the whipping post, right? If it was paid for on the cross, why by your stripes? Was I healed? And this just came up from the inside of me. So, well, I was never going to be sick. I was never going to be sick. And so in order to identify with you, I had to bear in my own body what sickness and disease would do to the human body. And then you begin to see what that cat of nine tails did that Jesus, while he laid over that whipping post, but between there and the cross, that he was bruised. His flesh was open. Infection began to set in. His muscles were atrophying. Everything that could take place in a human body began to take place as Jesus was beaten, as his body was opened, as his, his, his ribs were exposed, as his muscles were, were opened, as his, as his blood was flowing out. And I began to just 
think about that and say, oh my goodness, you know, we just think about the little bit of blood that flowed from his hands and his feet when we look at the crucifix. But Jesus became unrecognizable as a man. And while I was just meditating on that, I said, oh my God, I don't want one drop of blood that you shed to have hit the ground in vain on my behalf. That word vain means useless. In other words, we just think, well, you know, he died for my sin and, and I'll go to heaven. But he did so much more. And that purchase price was the blood of Jesus. And he said, when we don't understand this amazing grace and we just return back to a, a sinful life, even if we've learned about Jesus, he says, we tread underfoot the blood. We count the blood as a common thing and we frustrate the spirit of grace. And he's addressing 2,000 years ago with the Hebrew church. He says, listen, when you gather together and you encourage one another to love and good works, and then he, there's a little pause as the translator uh, divides it. There seems to be a little pause. And he says, and if you sin willfully after you know, if you've come together and you've heard the word and you return back to being dominated by sin, he said, what, what good is it? What, what's going to happen through the process? And he goes on to talk about the old covenant in the mouth of two or three witnesses. If somebody was accused that the punishment was great, how much more could be thought those who fall under grace and count the blood of Jesus as a common, simple thing and frustrate the spirit of grace by trying to work it all out by ourselves? No, he's given us something that is so valuable and so precious in the life that he provided for us because he didn't just save us from this life after we die. He saved us from the sin that had enslaved us. And I know we get to that point of thinking, you know, well, he didn't have to work too hard because I wasn't that bad. And sometimes we can identify that just as the woman who gave so much that they were thinking, what is wrong with this woman? She's just all over just anointing Jesus and, and, and making a big show of it. And Jesus said, um, let's just take a moment and understand that this woman is so overwrought because she's been forgiven much. She knows what she's been forgiven and she's so grateful, she can't help but love much. But he said, if you don't think you've been forgiven much, you just sit back while Jesus is in the room and say, let's chat. But she couldn't chat. She had to anoint him. She had to love him because she knew the depth of what he had done for her. When we start to really begin to see once again the depth of what Jesus has done for us, it's tough to just sit back and say, thank you. We have to begin to respond and to love deeper and to love much. And we begin to see that this word sozo doesn't just say, I got saved, I prayed a prayer, I walked the front, now I'm going to heaven, but my life has not really changed. When we realize that the moment that I said, Jesus, come in and be the Lord of my life, the Holy Spirit came in to create a transformation, not just a renovation, but a transformation. He cut the very source and slavery that sin had over your life. Whether you thought it was good or bad, whether you learned how to mask your life so you look like you were having a good life, the enemy was working, insecurities, doubt, unbelief. He was hiding shame that you felt like, you know what, I, I have to compete against everybody else. He says, I want to set you free from all that. 
And I want to instill in you the value and the preciousness that you are to me. I want to put in you gifts that you can understand will strengthen you to be able to reach out and be influential to someone else. I want you to be free from how you've lived to be able to say, I'm free from that, and now I can help someone else become free to live for God. That me as a Christian, my life isn't always a struggle, so I don't have time or effort or emotion to help someone else, but I realize whom the Son has set free is absolutely free indeed. And I'm not just free to do whatever I want, but I'm free to help other people become free. And I'll just pause for a commercial message. If you haven't already, you need to sign up for the catch class. Some people are like, I'm looking for my ministry. What's my ministry? Well, your number one ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. Yes, come on. Any man that be in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, everything has become new, and now everything is of God who has reconciled us to himself. When you got born again, the power of sin got broken over your life. You got reconciled to God. You got put in right relationship with God. You became sons and daughters of God. I mean, he tries to explain it in every way that he can. You're, you're offspring of mine. But then it's even deeper than that, that he's in you and you're in him and you're one with him. You're not just offspring, but you're one with him. He says you've been so reconciled into a relationship of oneness with who he is and who you are. But he said the, the first aspect of what you've been called to in ministry is to tell other people that they too can be reconciled to God. That God's not looking to beat them down. He's not looking to impute their sin upon them so they can go to hell. Just the opposite. He sent Jesus to forgive them of their sin and reconcile them to God. He said, I've called you to call people to reconciliation. Amen? When we understand a life and a life more abundantly, when we understand the fullness of our salvation and all that was done, how could we keep it to ourselves? How could we not tell somebody what God has done for us? Just letting that sit in. Everybody's like, well, I have a few things I could say. But how could we not? How could we not? How could we not declare the goodness of God? How could we not declare that God's not holding my sin against me, but he's forgiven me? And because he's forgiven me and the power of his forgiveness, I am not committing that sin over and over and over. It doesn't bind my life. It's not there conducting and guiding and, and controlling my thoughts and my life, my desires any longer. It's gone, and there's something that's taken its place as I live in Christ. this wonderful thing called salvation. The Greek word is sozo. Saved, yes, saved from the condemnation and eternal destruction that sin brings in. But it also means healed, delivered, prospered, preserved, made whole, and to make well. When Jesus died and he said, 
I have come to save you. He didn't just say in his thinking, I've just come to get you out of this world and into a place called heaven. He said, I have come to take everything that sin has done, its work, its consequence, its hold on you, and break it. Break the power of the hold that it has on you. Break the consequences of the sin that were in your life. And deliver you from that lifestyle and transform your life. It's amazing. Come on, when we understand that it's, it's not just a religious thing, it's not something we do on Sunday, but we get to walk with him every single day. We get to pray every single day. When something happens in our life and in our day, we don't have to just keep pondering on it and going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, we can stop right there and call on him. And he will answer you. When you get to know him, say, I called on him, and he didn't ever answer. Well, do you call on him often, or did you call on him once, and you didn't hear his answer? But as we get to know and are more familiar with walking with him every day, he said, call on me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things to come. I don't know about you, but... I'm looking for some great and mighty things to come. I'm looking for some great and mighty things to come. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I better get to my message. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. Romans, the 10th chapter, it says, but what does it say? This is our foundational text, one of our foundational texts. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, healed, delivered, set free, made whole, and prospered. This is the word of faith which we preach. That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, or Jesus as master of everything in my life, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead to seal the deal concerning everything that pertains to our life, then we will be saved, healed, delivered, set free, made whole, and prospered. In other words, everything that pertains to your life, physically, mentally, emotionally, materially, everything that has to do with that, if he's Lord over it, he saves every part of it. He restores it. He makes it well and makes it whole when he's able to be Lord over it. See, when we make him Lord over our final eternal destination he'll he'll take that when we make him lord over our bodies he'll begin to work i'm just gonna let that settle for a moment we make him lord over our bodies not make him lord over our bodies after our bodies are having symptoms and difficulties but we make him Lord over our bodies as we look at that. So we don't say, you know what, I really shouldn't do this with my body today, but I'm going to anyway because this is what I want to do. But to realize, as Paul told the Corinthian church, 
that our body is not our own, but we've been bought at a price of the precious blood of Jesus. Amen. And how we recognize that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and how we respond to that and we look to him as Lord over our body really causes us to know and re start to recognize him as the Lord, our healer. Because he'll begin to speak to us in action and in thought and in emotion and how we do the things that would affect our bodies. When we worry, he'll begin to say, not only am I the Lord over your emotions, but what you're doing emotionally is now affecting your body. And so if I'm Lord over your emotions, I will also be Lord over your body. But if you say, I want you to be Lord over my body, but the worry and the stress is affecting your body, he also has to be Lord over your emotions because your whole being is tied together. And our thoughts affect our health. Our emotions affect our health. And so when he says, I need to be Lord of all, he really means, I need to be Lord of all. He was speaking to the Corinthian church concerning sexual immorality, and he says, what are you doing with your body? It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. When you enter into sexual immorality, you sin against your body. Sometimes we don't think about those things when we're doing different aspects of what we want to do at that moment. When Jesus is Lord, when we say, be Lord, and he wants to lead us, the Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us and show us what it means for him to be Lord and, and get familiar with his voice to say, no, don't go here, don't do that, don't take that, don't partake of that. So that we're walking in that high level. Say, well, I'm not there yet. I'm just trying to just make it through tomorrow. Praise the Lord. This will help you make it through tomorrow. Jesus wants you to get to tomorrow and the next day and the next day. But some of you are looking past tomorrow and he's saying, listen, I can bring this all together. Just let me be the Lord of your life. He said, for with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Or with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, for whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for slave, uh, for the same Lord, or slave or free. For the Lord, same Lord is over all. I got a lot of things going on in my head right now. I just need to <laughs> slow down. Praise the Lord. I'm trying to read it when I, it's, it's quoting faster than I can read it. Uh, <laughs> my memorization of it. I read it at a sixth grade level, and I think at a higher level, so I'm having, a, I'm having a tough job. I need to just step back and say it. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, healed, delivered, set free, made whole and prosperous. Shall call upon the name of the Lord. And so we've been looking at this sozo, and we've been looking at calling upon the name of the Lord 
for salvation. Because he is the savior. He is the healer. He is the deliverer. But many times we're just calling out in this general sense, Jesus, I gave you my life and I need you to do something right now. But there's specific aspects and roles and places in his life that he fulfills and only he can fulfill in our lives. Listen to this in Acts chapter 4 and verse 10. It says, let it be known to you all. They just raised up this, this man at the gate, beautiful. They said, let it be known to, to you all. And to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, healed, delivered, set free, made whole, and prospered. No other name. No other name. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses is talking with God. He says, well, I gotta, I gotta, if I'm going to lead people, i got to tell them who sent me. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, Then what is his name? <laughs> come on. Everybody's like, Uh-huh, you seen God? What's his name? And they say to me, What is his name? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Come on. I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. When you break that down from the Hebrews, when he said, you tell them who I am, who I am sent you. He said, I am. He said, Yahweh. And Yahweh translated into Greek is Jehovah. He said, you tell them that the Yahweh who is Yahweh sent you. I am that I am. Now listen, Jesus was in a debate with the Pharisees in the book of John. They're talking back and forth about they know Abraham. They study Abraham. They know the God of Abraham. And Jesus said this to them while they're looking at that, and it really upset them. (laughs) Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And it says they picked up rocks to stone him. Why? Because they thought he was being blasphemous because they knew exactly what he was saying. We may not know it, but they knew exactly what he was saying. He said, before Abraham was, I am Jehovah. Jesus is the fulfillment. When we say Jesus, we can call it generally, or we can begin to call upon the name of Jehovah. 
in Christ Jesus because he is. And who I am who I am means I am anything that they have need of. I'm sending Moses to you, and he's going to deliver you. My deliverance will be upon you, and I'm going to deliver you, and I'm going to set you free, and I'm going to heal your body, and I'm going to be your provision, and I'm going to be your shepherd across the wilderness, and I'm going to be your peace. He said, I promise I will be with you always, and I will never, ever, 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 ever leave you, and I will never, ever, 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 ever forsake you. And God declared that in covenant, and Jesus said exactly the same thing, or the word spoke of him in Hebrews. Said so God is with you, and Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and He'll never leave you and He'll never forsake you. And the Bible says that as we looked at last week, that we started to understand that Jesus was our shepherd. Jehovah Rohi, the Lord, our shepherd. That he leads us and he guides us and he walks us through those things. That he's our provider, Jehovah Jireh. We went over that last week. And I've run out of time, but we want to talk about he is Jehovah Sidkenu. He is the Lord, our righteousness. And we start to understand that he is the Lord, our righteousness. Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 15, it says, In those days and at that time I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, that any man that be in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new. And now everything is of God who has reconciled us to himself. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ Jesus, not imputing their trespasses to them. And has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. Praise the Lord. Go on to the next verse real quick. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he, who knew, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. See, our own righteousness, our own trying to do good enough, satisfy all the need for us to be good enough and become righteous. We never could do it. But Jesus paid the price for our sin. He is our righteousness. And above all, God wanted us to be righteous. He wanted to be the God of our righteousness. He didn't want us to be saying, I'm good enough. I'm better than the next guy. He didn't want our Christianity to be, well, I know I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not bad, as bad as some other Christians that I know. And so somewhere I should have some merit because I know Christians who are worse than me. He said, I want to do away with all that so you can actually be all I created you to be. 
See, if our life consists of I'm just not as bad as someone else, we're not calling upon the Lord our righteousness because in his righteousness, all the requirements of the law were fulfilled. The pressure's not on us. He bore all that sin, and now we've been brought into a right relationship with God. So through that fellowship, right character can be developed on the inside of us, and through that right character that we gain through fellowship with God, we begin to live morally right and correct not because of what we could do in our own strength but because of the power to do right that flows from the very holiness and righteousness that God imparts to us through Jesus Christ you can't have a right relationship with God and not have it change who we are Romans chapter 3 in verse 22 it says even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood, through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at this present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in God. It just says, listen, he is our righteousness. His righteousness destroyed sin that stole the glory of God from us. And he paid the price for that sin so that we might become righteous or in right standing with him and return to that place of glory. When we return to that place of glory, the Bible says that by the Spirit of God, we're being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. When we understand, you know what, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with doing the right things. I'm struggling with doing, uh, the, I'm trying my best. It's time to call upon the Lord your righteousness. I'm just trying. I'm trying, to get, I'm trying to get over that. I'm trying. I'm trying. You can't do it by yourself. You can try and try and try and try, but without him, you can't do anything. We're like, Jesus, save me. I still can't do it. But if we all of a sudden say, you are the Lord, my righteousness. You are the master over the righteousness of my life. And when he's revealed as the Lord, your righteousness, and you see him as that, grace comes to you to walk in that righteousness. First Peter says that we have grace that comes to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But as we look at that and just say, well, I'm looking for grace for a number of areas, but when you see the revelation of the Lord, your righteousness, when you see the revelation that he is Jehovah Jireh, your provider, there's a grace that begins to be revealed and released to you concerning provision in your life. When you look to him and call upon him as Jehovah Rohi, when you look to him and say, you are my shepherd, you begin to see guidance come to your life 
You begin to see what he's prepared for you, no matter what the enemy's doing, a grace to partake, a grace to follow. Something comes over your life by the Holy Spirit when you begin to call upon the name of the Lord and know that in his name, he's provided what it is that you're needing and you're calling upon. You know, we shared just a little bit. You can stand up. We shared just a little bit last week, you know, Surround Jonathan with all of his growing up, and uh, we, he had all kinds of different names. You know, it's just the same. I grew up, uh, I, I, you know, I, here I'm family to some people. I'm friends to some people. I'm boss to some people. Uh, I'm pastor to some people. Uh, I feel, fulfill all of that. But, you know, some people want to call on me as friend it's tough to pastor when you're just being a friend. It's the same person, but some, if somebody's not calling on pastoral guidance, it's tough to give them pastoral guidance. They just want, I don't want you to be pastor, I want you to be friend. Sometimes pastor doesn't, or Tasha doesn't want me to be pastor, she wants me to be husband. <laughs> right? So she'll call on husband, she won't call on Pastor. And there's a whole different response when she calls on husband than when she calls on pastor. There's a whole different response for my employees when I'm, they're calling upon boss and I'm being boss than when I'm being pastor. And I have to be both. But there's different times and there's different things that are called upon. You might notice that if you're somebody's friend and you're their boss. If you're ministering even in a Bible study and, and people just sit there and they, they say, you're the facilitator. They, they, they submit to that. You're like, wow, this is really going smooth. But if everybody's just like, oh, well, whatever. We have so much to do with what takes place in our life. We have so much to do with the grace that is released into our life by recognizing the totality of who he is in our salvation. And not being legalistic, but just knowing and saying, you are the Lord, my provider. And you know that I have need right now. And you supply every need according to your riches and glory. And the revelation that he provides, he is my source. My job's not my source. The government's not my source. Nothing else is my source. He's my source of all things, a grace begins to overwhelm you and it dispels the fear and the anxiety that comes to know that he is my provider and he will provide and there's a grace and when that grace comes and starts to overwhelm you you begin to access and faith begins to activate and you begin to draw on resources that come only from him not man and faith dispels fear but how often have we had fear about finances and we just said come on god come on and we've never stopped and said, you are Jehovah Jireh, my provider. You are my shepherd, and I have want of no good thing. Or how about doing we just go, help. And he's so gracious and merciful that when we help, <laughs> it's like, I'll help. Because I've sent the Holy Spirit. He's your helper. And I'm not trying to get you so zoned into one thing, but I am trying to bring a revelation to us that he saved us to the uttermost, that he is a revelation of the I am, that I am a manifestation 
of the I am that I am, and we have a revelation of that, whatever we have need of, we call on him for that. And we allow him to be the Lord over that area of our life. Father, we thank you and we praise you that when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die with only a single thought in mind getting us to heaven. But when he went to the cross and gave up everything, that he had eternal life in mind for us. That when he gave up everything, he had in mind us receiving everything that would come from his resurrection life. Holy Spirit, minister to our hearts and lives as we go through this week and needs come our way or we confront issues that we remember to look to you and call upon you. For everything that we have need of, we call upon you and draw upon you for that as our source. We thank you for that. If you're here this morning or you're watching this morning, you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You may have gone to church all your life. You may be struggling. You may not be struggling. You may be having a great time, but you know, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. If you're here today or you're watching, you know that's you. He said, I'll forgive you. You'll become a new creation in Christ. So if you confess me as Lord, believe in your heart that I raised from the dead, you will be saved. Let's all just pray this prayer together. If you have never prayed this prayer before, from your heart, pray this prayer, and Jesus will come in by the Holy Spirit into your heart, be the Lord of your life. Say, Father God, come to you this morning and I confess to you that I've been doing life the way I want to do it and I confess to you that I'm falling short and so today I confess that God raised you from the dead I believe it with all of my heart and right now I confess you as Lord. I ask you to come into my heart. Be the Lord of my whole life. Thank you for forgiving my sin. Cleansing me. And bringing me into righteousness. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for